we see here, we could have, I could have named this hope and suffering. The section we're going to be talking about is God's grace in suffering. But mostly in this section here, verses 13 through 17, Peter is going to give us and gave them at the time instructions in suffering. It wasn't the question if suffering was going to happen to them. It's only when it was going to happen to them. And they were going through some tremendous suffering. If you remember, it's, and we can, you know, during this period of time, it was about 60 to 64 AD when the persecution was coming down quite heavy on the people. Who are those people? Those people were the new Christians, those who are followers of Christ. They were also being persecution if you were Jewish, because the hostile pagan environment they lived in was coming against them who followed the true and living God. Well, we could say it's 60 to 64 AD today, because here in 2022, we find much persecution is coming down upon Christians around the world, around Jewish faith. Those in the Jewish faith are being persecuted for their faith. And so if you're watching the news, you see the news, you understand the impact that is happening. Now Peter here exhorts them, the Christians and the Jewish believers, um, there in uh, this part of Asian Minor that he's writing to, that he exhorts them, and the Holy Spirit exhorts us today, that we must always be reminded of our calling as Christians. We are to love one another. We are to love our enemies. We are to love life. We saw that last week in verses 10 through 12. We also understand that we are called to seek and pursue peace. We saw that in verse 11. But we may be seeking peace, but know and we understand that we are also they, the enemy, or they, the world, are seeking war against you for your faith. That is real, and Peter understood it. Peter also gave them the assurance that God's eyes are on his people, and that his ears are open to their prayers. We saw that in verse 12. We must trust God to protect and provide for his people. For he alone can defeat our enemies. We have that assurance in Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. So if you would please, let's go through the scripture. I'm going to read it with you, and then we're going to go verse by verse. I'm going to start with verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Verse 13, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience, 
that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So when we take a look at these verses, we see and we start off by these verses introduce the main, third main section of 1 Peter about God's grace in suffering. We're going to see two parts of it to the remaining of chapter 3. But the first part is on the instructions in suffering for you as a believer. Because we do have instructions. God doesn't leave you and I out there to try to figure this out when we're suffering. He actually gives us instructions on how to work through this suffering. And if we do it his way, things will be better. (laughs) Things will be good. You will grow through this. You'll be protected through this you'll actually flourish and be fruitful through this. But what's interesting is this introduces an important spiritual principle that you and I must take note here in these verses, and that is the fear of the Lord conquers every other fear. When you have a healthy fear, a respect for your Lord, you will see that it will conquer every other fear in your life, regardless of what it may be. Now here in verse 13 of chapter 3, we're going to see these instructions on how to handle what, is, handle what are good, uh, doing good in return for the evil that will come against us because it's a, a guarantee that it will happen. And it says, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Through Peter here in his exhortation, he says to Christians, to you and I, that we should always answer evil with good. We must always answer evil with good. That's not easy. That is not what your flesh would like to do unless your flesh has been transformed. And it's your flesh is being ruled and governed over by the Spirit of God you're naturally going to want to respond in likeness. But we're called as Christians not to respond in evil to what comes against us. That we are to understand that Peter understood that this is in the real world, that this evil will come against us, that we live among people who want to war against us. And he knew that people often would we repay good with the response of evil. But if you become followers of what is good, if you're a Christian, and what it means to be literally be follow, become followers is to be zealous for Christ. Some Jews were zealots. We understand that in the scriptures. They were zealots boasting, boasting of their zeal for the Lord and for his law. But Christians are, should be as zealots for what is good, seeking to, for what is good in people, seeking for what is good in the situation, seeking for what is good that is praiseworthy and glorifies God through this. And we must make those decisions daily and through the day in different situations within the home within the workplace, within the community, within the church time, wherever it may be, we must have a heart, an attitude of what is good and the seeking after what is good. Yes, evil is all around us. Yes, people want to come against us. Yes, persecution will come. 
But we must, in instructions here, if you want to be able to work through the suffering that's going to come our way, we must choose to be followers of what is good. So the very first instruction he gives us is dealing with suffering or persecution in our life is to do what is good. Not only to see what is good, but to actually do what is good. And that is a choice that you and I make. So when people come against you, okay, Lord, this is a really intense situation. What can I do that is good in response? And sometimes the best thing I can do is say nothing. Go silent and do not respond. Not non-verbally, not verbally, and certainly not with some kind of action. Sometimes it's just best to hold the tongue and be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to be angry. That is probably what is good in that moment. And then sometimes it's a response to in some kind of encouragement to someone who's coming against you. To respond, to change the environment that it seems to come in. You're sitting there. You're at your desk. Everything's fine. It's going to be a new day. It's going to be probably some struggles. And all of a sudden, someone walks in your office. Blasting you for a decision you've made. You're like, where did this come from? You know it's only 7.30 in the morning, 8 o'clock. And it's already happening? You may even woke up and looked in in the mirror and all of a sudden blasted yourself. You need to make a different choice in how you respond to that moment where you're talking to yourself and blasting yourself. It's God's grace each and every day that we live. And we must look to what is good and to seek out and ask God in those moments of what is good in this moment. Because our enemies might hurt us, but they cannot harm us. Our enemies might hurt us, but they cannot harm us. Only we can harm ourselves if we fail to trust God in that moment. That's where the harm comes. When you get, literally buy into what they're dealing you with you at that moment. They may hurt you, but they can't harm you. If you, you rest in the protection and the provision of God Almighty. Because nothing can touch your life as a Christian, as a child of God, unless it's been father filtered. And so you have that reassurance that you want to know in first instruction is to respond in what is good in that moment and not bad. Verse 14, it says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, understand this, you are blessed. <laughs> I know, I know it's hard, but as you mature as a Christian, you'll understand this in due time. That even though you're being persecuted for doing what is right and good, you still are going to have people coming against you because of your faith. They'll even come against you and they don't even know you're a Christian. There's something about you that just irritates them. Why? Because the scripture tells us people who live in darkness hate light. 
If they hate light, what do people do when you hate light? You try to get that light out from in front of you. I hate the lights of the cars at night when they come <laughs> coming you. In the morning when you don't want to wake up and the light's coming through the window, you don't have happy moments. Someone's shining a light in your face. There's immediate response that you, oh, get that out of my face. There are people who are going to come across you and just because you're smiling and you don't even know, but the, the, the light of Christ is shining through you, it will cause them to absolutely persecute you and come against you and they don't even know why. Understand what the scripture tells you and I. Understand you're going to be blessed for the righteousness sake. And notice here, the instruction is, is do not be afraid in those situations of the threats that are going to come your way. Do not be troubled internally. Don't be troubled by this. Don't let your mind go squirrely on the situation at hand. Many are persecuted in the work environment because you're a Christian. Because you haven't hidden it under a basket, which we are not to do. It could be the fact that you just told your neighbor that you do this, and they ask you, why are you over here to help me? No one's ever helped me. Well, because I do it in, in Jesus' name. I'm, God's called me to help you as a neighbor. And, and you just did good. You just saved them from a flood or whatever it may be, something dramatic. But they still come against you. Just know you're going to be blessed. Just don't respond in a way where you do not have the hope in Christ. That your foundation of what you, who you serve and who you live for is not the organization. It is not the looking for the pleasing or the, the approval of man. Only to glorify your Savior. So immediately, if you put your eyes on Jesus, then you will not be afraid of their threats. What, what weapon can be formed against you? Don't let it be troubling inside of your mind. We see it in Matthew 10, 28. Jesus spoke of the same kind of attitude. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul but rather fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and body in hell. That is what they don't understand. God is in complete control of that person's life who's coming against you. The body and the soul. Yes, you might be hurt physically. You may be attacked mentally. But that's just temporary light affliction, the Bible says. We don't have to worry about their threats. We don't have to be concerned about the darkness that's around us. We can rest in Christ. Even in Matthew 5, verses 11 through 12, speaks of rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. There's where you and I have to get the right perspective each and every day. You have to look onto the heavenly future in perspective of what is going on in the temporary. And that's instruction. That means you must and I must practice this. We must constantly, from one thing to another, bring it into perspective. From a heavenly perspective that's going on. 
so that it, these, these threats will not impact you. That when man is trying to put you into fear and grip under fear and control, that it will not control you because I'm in, I'm in Christ's hands. I have a father who loves me and has me. He's, he promises that he's not going to leave me or forsake me. And you bring these things under control. Because if you don't, the presence or the, the possibility of suffering for doing good should not make us shrink away from doing good. And that's why things we see in the world today, anytime you do something good and they don't like it, especially in the name of Jesus and the fact that the world hates who he is. They'll always try to slap you down, to put you in fear. They'll try to control you, and you'll get all these outside influences trying to scare you. You know that it's from the enemy. But understand, we respond what is good. We understand that we are not going to be afraid by these threats. We know we are not going to be troubled in our minds. We may have to bring those thoughts under captivity in the power of the Holy Spirit because we need that to happen so that we don't go squirrely and become anxious-filled and filled with anxieties and ulcers and all physical things that come from that because we're dwelling in the fear, dwelling in the anxieties, dwelling in the unknown. Dwelling on these things will cause a problem physically and mentally and spiritually in our walk. So Peter says, I understand your persecution. I understand Rome is about, and you see these people, they've taken them, they've wrapped them in wax and, and lit them on fire like torches to light his pathways in his gardens. I understand that is happening. But God is in control. I understand your brothers and sisters are losing their head over, overseas. And the fear of concern is in moving our direction. But Peter and the Holy Spirit says to you and I today, don't be afraid. Don't be troubled. I'm in control. I see all things. I know all things. I'm everywhere. You're a child of God. So rest. So as we see Peter giving these instructions, and even as Christians, we are going to face crises. And we are tempted to give in to our fears and make the wrong decisions, have the wrong attitude and response, or even how we respond in not only to the person, but even respond internally in how we process these crises, these persecutions, these sufferings that will be coming our way. But that's the second instruction. It shows if we suffer for doing right, and being right in our response, we are going to be rewarded, and you and I must ponder on that. We must ponder on the fact that if we're being persecuted for our faith and doing what is good and doing what is right, you and I are going to be rewarded when we get to heaven. We're going to be rewarded. I don't fully understand that. Why? But that's what God tells us and promises us. us. So when I'm being persecuted, I just say, "Woo, that's going to be a big crown. I, I'm sure the Lord is going to give me enough heaviness to be able to pick up that crown that he's going to give me and throw it right back at the feet of Jesus because that's the only reason I'm not going to take the head off of that guy 
Or I'm not going to respond with the verbal ability to take him up and tear him apart. You know, all of I bet you know my, my previous life that I have that I had that ability to physically and verbally, mentally deal with people. But thank God he's changed me. But I know he's changed me because I don't respond like that now. That's the previous, before BC. That's the, the old man. And I'm thankfully that the old man's dead and, and continuing to die. See, you remember when Peter was arrested in the preaching of the gospel? And because he was sharing the good news to save people's lives from hell? To have them have the opportunity to go to heaven and be with God for eternity. He's out there sharing the good news with people. He's so excited about sharing the good news and what God has done in his life. And remember him and his buddy, they were beat up. They were beat up and they had to force them. You need to stop your preaching about the name of Jesus Christ and you are leaving now. What did they do? Were they terrified? No. Where they go squirrely in their head and troubled and say, oh, we'll never do that again. We can't share the gospel ever again. That was, that was a terrible experience physically. They were almost could have killed us. No. Peter and his buddies walked out rejoicing that they could be counted worthy to suffer like their Savior Jesus. They celebrated. And that's why Peter is now telling them, I've been there, I've done that, where you've been. I've been persecuted, I almost died multiple times by just sharing the good news of what Jesus has done in my life. And he could do it in your life if you would just surrender your life to Jesus and trust him by faith. So Peter was not writing He's not preaching, he's not teaching, he's not instructing on something that he doesn't understand or hasn't already practiced. But look at verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Notice the qualifications on here, what you're supposed to say and how you're supposed to say it. Instead of fears, we should give a special practice of sanctify to God in your hearts. That's a key thing right there. Always being ready, not just when you feel like it, but always being ready to explain our faith. To give defense of why we have faith. Why we have hope in Jesus. Do you have that? Could I take you right after the service and come up to you and say, can you tell me about what, where you get your faith, your hope in? And could you simply explain that to me? Giving defense of why you've turned your life over to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Always doing it with a right attitude. Could you explain to someone who's coming and persecuting you and says, oh, I see your Bible on your desk. That's a joke. 
Oh, we're getting shot at and you're talking to someone you can't see? That's a joke. Get your gun and just start shooting. Did you see what they just did? They threatened me? I think we should get our buddies. We should come back here and, and, and take care of them. No, you don't want to do that? You say you're going to pray for them? What, what does that mean? And you're going to get ridiculed. You're going to get mocked. You're going to get scorned. Why? Because the more you're like Jesus, the more you're going to get the same response. That's not an if, it's only when, as you grow and mature in your faith. This is not a bad thing. This is a good thing. You'll be rewarded in heaven. But how we get through this and, and understanding this in, in the instruction that Peter is giving here, he says he, we need to sanctify Christ as our Lord in our hearts. That is an important instruction because you're not going to be able to deal with this persecution coming against you if you do not sanctify, solidify that Jesus Christ is foundational in your life. It, he's everything to you. We must do this. Why? Because if it doesn't, the simple meaning of the instruction here is that very the center of your life, there has needs to be one Lord of your life. And that is to be Christ. It must be. Why? Because if other lords are permitted to invade the sanctuary of your heart, if you exercise and allow this exercise of other lords have dominion or influence your life, our own selfish desires can take over. The opinion of others can take over. Worldly wisdom can take over. The pressures of circumstances can overwhelm you. And these and many other little lords can come and command us and sway us emotionally, physically to do things that goes against the word of God. And when we turn away and simply just walk and just turn away and simply just call out in the name of Jesus, our allegiance to oh Lord, you're in control, you're my savior, and you just bring him into captivity, sanctifying him in your heart of who he is through the situation, through the persecution at that moment. You will then, you will become steady, you'll be foundational, you'll be on the rock of our salvation which is through the relationship of Jesus Christ. So the third instruction is to sanctify your hearts. Because the suffering that you and I will experience will cause us to commit more to Jesus, to our calling and our obedience to his word versus getting bitter and angry, and resentful, and revengeful in the flesh. And this is where I see many Christians go wrong. Because some really bad things can happen in their life that they did not obviously order up for themselves. Because you can bring persecution on you because of your attitude and how you give the, the gospel. I don't recommend you go down the hallway of your work and say, you're all going to hell. Hell, 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 hell. Now let me tell you about Jesus. That doesn't go well. <laughs> I've known some brothers over the years who, 
who gave their life to Jesus, and they're on fire. Man, I always have to watch the, the youngsters, man, in the military. Woo! They get on fire, and they come out blazing. Oh, I remember this one bro. <laughs> Brother, he's doing good now. He's still alive, but I didn't think he was going to make it. He decided he got, found Jesus. Oh, he found Jesus. He loved Jesus. And he had to go out into the field for two weeks. Woo! He told he, he had the heart to evangelize everyone. Didn't matter your rank. He was going to evangelize everyone. I thought his, his buddies were going to kill him and bury him out there in the field. But he did survive. It, it, it rocked him a little bit. But we talked him off the ledge and we said, let's, let's go back to what the scripture says. We must deliver what gives you your hope, what gives you the assurance of eternal life that's in you now. You must do that with meekness and fear. Fear here in the Greek word is respect. You must respectfully tell people of your hope. You must do it in meekness, a gentleness, a long-suffering, a kindness that must come from your life as you deliver what is your hope or who is your hope in your life. And that's what Peter's saying. Let's sanctify the Lord. Let's, Lord, be your Lord. Let no other lords be in your life. Let us be so focused that it is not going to sway you from all the things that are coming. So you're not going down the bitter lane or the angry lane or revengeful lane, the fleshly lane. You're going to respond in the Spirit because you walk in the Spirit because your focus is on Christ in your response. Now, it's generally speaking, people do not oppose us Typically, if we do good. Typically, if you're doing good, most people will not respond in evil. They may give you a look like, what are you doing? Like you're out of your mind. Why? I, I, you know I hate you. Why are you doing such, something good to me? But even if they do come against you for doing good... It is better to suffer for righteousness' sake than to compromise our testimony of our relationship with Jesus. We must protect our testimony. One of the worst things you can do as a couple, as a Christian couple, and, and pronounce that you're a Christian couple, to act like you're an unchristian couple in and around your friends and family. You, you have to protect your testimony. As a young man or a young woman that you just give your life to Christ and God has done a radical change, but then turn around and go back into the world and act like you did not give your life to Christ. You're out there partying with them. You're still drinking with them. You're still smoking, you know, all kinds of hanging out, swearing and cut. Because remember, when you get saved, not everything has been worked out of your life yet. The sanctification takes time. But you cannot, when you're convicted now of doing the things you never used to be convicted, now you're convicted. You need to understand right up front, you need to, you need to separate yourselves many times from these situations that put you to be vulnerable. To blow your testimony in front of others 
that you want to reach with for Christ. And always be ready to give that defense in all the situations you find yourself. But if we've made ourselves ready in knowing the Bible, prepared to answer their questions, Peter knew how important it is to give a defense to everyone who asks you. He had to do this in many situations. Go back and look at Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3 and 4 and 5. Each time Peter was tested and tested and tested for his faith. Be ready for others to ask you questions regarding how we're able to handle these, uh, these crises. Which is important because as you go through these crises, people are literally looking at your life and saying to you, how are you dealing with that? How do you not respond and go and get, do evil for evil? How are you able to not say something when they're saying all those really rotten things about you? And people, non-believers, are constantly are looking and watching to see how you're going to respond. You're being tested. Which, interesting, is by you, by your behavior and what you say and what you do, and you are absolutely in self-control, and you're responding in good, your, 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 your mind is not going squirrely, you're not physically going to respond or verbally responding in some way to blow your testimony. All of a sudden, this is what's going to happen, my brothers and sisters. The people who you're trying to lead to Christ absolutely will respond and say, I don't know how you didn't take that guy's head off after what he did to you. I can't believe you didn't say a thing. Matter of fact, you actually showed and did something good to that person even after what he just did to you. Yes. Why? Because that opens up the opportunity to, to say, by God's grace. He showed me grace. How can I not show that man grace? He doesn't understand what he's doing. I want an opportunity to help him to understand what I understand, what it means to have a life in Jesus Christ, a Savior that can save you from your sin. So if I responded in a worldly way, an ungodly way, in my behavior, my attitude, that closes the doors down for me to be able to share what I believe in and what I say and how I live my life. And so that's the fourth instruction that was given here is that if you do it in meekness and you do it in fear or respect for someone, we have to understand we're just beggars showing other beggars where to find the bread of life. Because you understand where you came from. You're just, you're a sinner saved by grace. They're looking at a person who's a sinner who has not yet been saved by grace. And when Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives, each crisis becomes an opportunity for us to witness and we get to share our changed life in Jesus Christ with them. We are always ready to give an answer. And the English word here is apology. It comes from the Greek word translated answer. It's not where it's, I'm sorry, apology, but it's the apologetics, which is the branch of the theology of the defense of our faith. It's like a defense presented in court. 
apologetics. And every Christian should be able to give a reasoned defense on his or her hope in Christ. Especially in hopeless situations. That is the most powerful when God uses you, is when you are in a place where it's a hopeless situation, and God, people watch your life and how you respond to it, and watch how God works through that. It becomes a powerful testimony and a witness to others. And a crisis creates the opportunity for witness when a believer behaves with faith and hope because the unbelievers, when they will see that, they will sit up and take note and pay attention. Remember, we witness in meekness and fear and not with arrogance and know-it-all attitude. Always have to remember, if you have an all, uh, this I know it all attitude, it will come across and you're shutting doors. We are not persecuting attorneys. We are witnesses. And there is a difference. Also, we must be sure of our lives back up our defense. You can't say I have a defense and, 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 and I trust in Jesus Christ when you don't live that. That's hypocrisy and people can, knows, knows, uh, knows hypocrisy, especially the youth today. They know, they know when you're not living what you say you're, you're telling. Peter did not suggest that Christians should argue with lost people. That's not what it means to be in a defense. You don't argue with lost people. But rather we present to the unsaved an account of what we believe, why we believe it, in a loving manner. That's how we reach people, one by one. And that's why we must keep in mind, the purpose is not to win an argument, but to win the lost souls to Christ. These are the things you must keep in your mind as you're reaching out to people who God brings across your path. So what does it mean to sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts? It means to turn everything, every aspect of your life over to him and to live only to please him and to glorify him. How do you know if you have a sanctified heart? Am I pleasing God in every aspect of my life? Am I trusting him in every aspect of my life? That's the question you must ask yourself. And if you're not there yet, keep showing up because as you grow in, the, in your relationship with God, you're going to be changed by the Holy Spirit. You're going to be fruitful for God. You, it's only a matter of time you will say your heart is sanctified in Christ. It means to fear displeasing God more than displeasing any man. So many times we're, we, don't, we don't fear displeasing God. We don't even think about it. But first thing a man walks in, he's like, oh, I don't want to make him upset or displease him. And what the thing. No, we must understand if we're sanctified in the Lord, we want to never want to not please him. And all the things we say and do. We're to be a God pleaser, not a man pleaser. We see it in John 4, verses 31 through 34. It means being sanctified with nothing less than the will of God in our lives. 
When you're sanctified in Christ, I just want to be in the perfect will of God. Not permissive will of God, but the perfect will of God. That means I'm constantly checking all the time. Lord, does this please you? Is this good? Is this right? Is this your will? If it's not, I cut it off. I don't dabble with it. I don't kind of have a little hook to it. No, no, I cut it off. Because I want nothing to bring me down in regards to being fully sanctified in Christ. And one of the evidence that Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives is the readiness in which we're willing to witness to others about Jesus and seek to, to win them to Christ. How much are you sanctified in Christ? By your willingness and your excitement and earnest looking to share the gospel with other people. That is one evidence that you are, Christ is sanctified in your life, is that desire to witness to the lost. In verse 16, he says, having a good conscience, then when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good, con good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. So we see a little bit more instruction here is that having a good con conscience. We should have a good conscience. If you want to be able to deal through suffering, we must have a good conscience. Especially when we know they're going to defame you and cause you and say to others, that is an evildoer. That's a terrible guy. Oh, she's, oh, you don't want to hurt. She's terrible. People are going to go around and literally try to ruin you. For what reason? No, no other reason than the Satan in the flesh trying to do that against you. Happens in the work environment all the time. You happen to be in the position they want, so they're going to defame you and tell whatever you can do to, to ruin your career so that they can get your position. It happens all the time. It happens even in the church. It happens in families. See, our good conduct, when our, when our good is returned with evil will prove others wrong in their opinions about you, and it will make them ashamed for speaking against your godly, your lives. When you're at work in your home and people in church and stuff, and you're consistent with everyone and just loving them, encouraging them, and doing what is good, and you're a good example, and you literally live how God says you should to live, when someone tries to defame you, people will look at you and go, I know him. I know her. That, that's not them. They don't do those things. They wouldn't have said those things. They wouldn't have responded that way. Are you sure you understood what they meant? Because that's not their character. Because their good conduct has been shown to others, even to non-believers. Even non-believers will come and say, I know he's a little wacky on that religious stuff, but that's not his conduct. He's good. So right here, Peter is saying everything that is coming against you is absolutely wrong and false. We, we understand that. But you know between you and God that when you sit there and say, God, did I say something wrong in a certain way? Was my attitude wrong? Did I say it in some thing that caused some strife or some division on that? I don't remember. Bring that back to memory, Lord. If there's find any wicked way in me, please reveal it to it because I don't want anything to hinder my relationships with anybody. I want to show your love for everybody. So, Lord, 
once you're having that conversation and there's no conviction, there's no change, there's nothing the Holy Spirit is showing you and revealing to your life that needs to change, and you're, you and God are like, yes, you're fine, you're good, you're just being, people are just coming against you because of your faith. Then you have that reassurance that you're, you have a good conscience. Your conscience is clear, as they would say. One of the things you'll understand Living a godly life is the best way to silence your critics. It's the best way. We must maintain the conscience. The conscience is that internal judgment that witnesses to us. That enables us to know within either approving our action or accusing our action. We see that in Romans chapter 2 verses 14 and 15. The conscience may be compared to a window that lets light through of God's truth. And if we persist in disobeying or being disobedient and going against the will of God, going against what the word of God says, then your window gets dirtier and dirtier and dirtier and allows less and less light to come, God's truth to come through your life. How dirty is your window today? How dirty is the conscience that you have in, within? Today's the day you can repent and have that window cleaned up. See, that, there's different conscience that we see in the scripture. If you continue to allow the dirt of the flesh, of the world, and the things to start dirtying up your window, and not allowing the, 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 the right and wrong, or God's truth to come through, it will defile your conscience. We see that in Titus 1.15. And if it continues, it can lead to being your conscience to be a seared conscience. And that is one who has been so sinned against that it no longer is sensitive to the wrong or right. We see that in 1 Timothy 4.2. And it's even possible for the conscience to be so evil or poisoned, so dirty... That it proves things that are bad, they agree with bad things, and go against the good things. The Bible calls it an evil conscience. We see that noted in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. It's like a criminal. He gets real, his conscience gets really bothered when the police ask him to squeal on his other criminals. Oh, I can't do that. I, I don't feel comfortable doing that. I'm not going to squeal. But he can't wait to do the criminal act. Do you see the difference? He has an evil conscience. He's capable of doing anything. And you're like, this is so clear. This is wrong. They have, a, they have an evil conscience. That's why they can do it without blinking an eye. Why can't they see the right versus wrong? Everyone, I can see it because you have a good conscience. You are, your window is clear. The word of God is showing you clearly this is wrong, what is right and wrong. But not everyone has an 
clear conscience. They have a seared conscience. They have an evil conscience. They have a defiled conscience. Why? Because their window of their life is dirty. It's dark. The conscious depends on knowledge, which is the light coming through the window. And as a believer, as he studies and she studies the word of God, she and he better understands the will of God and his conscience becomes more sensitive to right and wrong. Why do you see why we encourage children to learn the word of God so that they have a clear conscience and understanding by the word of God working in their lives so they understand right and wrong and have clarity of right and wrong and to be obedient to the right and wrong. It takes exercise. We must strive to keep the conscience strong and pure. We see that warning in Acts chapter 24, verse 16. It's an exercise. We must strive to do it. So how does a good conscience help a believer in times of trials and sufferings? For one thing, it fortifies him with courage because he knows he is right with God and men so that he need not be afraid. You have a good conscience. A good conscience also gives us peace in our hearts. And when we have peace within, we can face battles without. No divided heart to drain you physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Do you want to know why many people struggle and are drained physically and mentally and spiritually? Because their conscience is not clear. It's not clean. They have hidden sins. They have hidden resentments. They have hidden bitterness. They have hidden anxiety. They have all kinds of things. They're And what we need to understand as a Christian, we must come back, as Peter says here, have a good conscience, even though when they come against you, don't allow these things to affect you, because if you do, it's just going to hurt you. You want his peace. You want his courage. A good conscience removes from us the fear of what other people think of us. Know about us, say against us, or do to us. A good conscience removes those things that can impact us. So we're not going to worry and, and fear of what other people think. Or what do they do? Or what do they say about you? When Christ is Lord, we fear only God. We need not fear the threats. We need not fear the opinions of others. Or actions of others coming against us. We must keep it there. Psalm 118.6. The Lord is, my, is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Oh, if you haven't memorized Psalm 118.6, I highly recommend it. Because it's short enough, you probably can memorize it. And you can get it out in that time of conflict when someone comes against you. Oh, Lord is on my side. I will not fear. Nope. What can you do against me? No, no, no. You have no idea who my heavenly father is. And it will solidify and settle you down because the conscious alone 
you have to understand, is not the test alone. Some people will say to me, Pastor, my conscience is clear. That doesn't mean anything to me. Because you just told me you just sinned and went against the word of God. And even if your conscience is clear, it is not right because it goes against the word of God. See, the conscience is clear and is good and right when you test all things by the word of God. That's when you know you have a good conscience. The conscience is the safe guide only for you and I when the word of God is the teacher. When the word of God is the teacher and in showing you and guiding you, then you know you have a good conscience. And if we are to maintain a good conscience, we must deal with the sin in our lives and confess it immediately. We see that in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. Clean your window from all unrighteousness. Is there anyone here today that needs to have their windows cleaned? Is your conscience, can you really say it's clear? Well, the Holy Spirit wants to do that cleaning. And Christ has done the cleaning for you. He will clean your window if you will let trust and put your faith in him and him alone for that cleaning. Why? Because he already paid for that cleaning on the cross. He paid all of that fully on the cross for you. If you will accept him as your Lord and Savior. And if you already have given your life to, as your Lord and Savior, you need to come to him and ask him to forgive you. Get your conscience cleaned up. Confess to him all the things that are str you're struggling with and lay it at his feet and be clean, be cleansed. Why in verse 17? For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. See, none of us want to suffer. <laughs> no one is. If you're, if you're into suffering and you're looking to go get suffering, have a conversation with me because we need to help you. You have a bigger issue and a problem. But if you don't like suffering, you're with the rest of us. But if we must suffer, and we will, may it be for doing good and not for doing evil. We're out there doing what God's called us to do. We're not some Christians who are obnoxious and offensive. That will cause you suffering you're obnoxious and offensive. But may we be about his business and do it in meekness and in fear, and especially in the love of Christ. Amen?